Toro Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. Oh, what up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, as always, a Rob Van Hoff. The Hoff. What up, Rob? What up? Caleb, what number of show are we on? We're on number 80. 80. 80. Is there, do we have any mystical... <laughs> is there a mystical number for the, for the it's show? It's the letter pay. It's the letter pay. Pay in Hebrew is the number for 80. So this is the show of the pay. There must be some hidden meaning. Uh, because of it. Um, hey, welcome everyone to the show. We got a very small chat room today. There's hardly anybody in our chat room. That's okay though. We are very excited that the people that are in the chat room are in the chat room. So what up and shalom to you guys and what up and shalom to everybody listening online or watching on YouTube. Uh, I think that I would actually suspect maybe everyone's staying out of the chat room today because we are brushing on such a controversial subject. If you've seen our show notes or maybe if you're watching on YouTube, you saw the, the title of this show, and it's titled The Rob and Caleb Show, Gay Marriage. Uh, gay marriage is, is one of those issues that a lot of, that is, is really brings a lot of heat in our day and age. And I think it's different from, my, I'll, I'll say this before, we actually have things that we're going to talk about before we get to the actual subject, but I, for those listening, because I'm, I'm guessing that we're going to have uh, people watching and listening um, to this show that normally don't. And that means that um, we could have people who are very much in favor for gay marriage. We could have people who are 100% opposed to gay marriage, all these kind of things. And so I just want to say, first and foremost, that I think this is a difficult subject because people in my generation and younger, I was born in 1981, so I was I pretty much missed the 80s because I was a young kid. And I grew up in a very, very religious home, and, and I didn't realize that there was even a debate going on until I grew up. But when I grew up, there were a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, but there were maybe three of my friends from the church that I went to, and close friends, who uh, are now homosexuals and uh, are living a homosexual lifestyle. And that was just within my church. Outside of my church, uh, there were many more friends that I had and still have that, uh, you know, that I've known since birth that uh, live, are living a homosexual lifestyle. And I think that because of that, because of uh, how many people that are living an openly homosexual lifestyle, um, I think that believers now are faced with the fact that they have friends. Um, you know, people my age and, and younger are, are are interacting with people who are friends who they've known their whole lives who are living a homosexual lifestyle. And so this issue is a very touchy and uh, and sensitive issue. So uh, if you're if you're tuning in with us for the first time, I think full disclosure is uh, is important. I will say that Rob and I believe that the Torah is still applicable for uh, Jew and Gentile today. So obviously we're going to take the stance that homosexuality is not sanctioned by the Bible and obviously that God is opposed to to homosexual marriage in general. And uh, we're not going to waver on that. However, I do think, 
I do think that uh, maybe some issues will be brought up today that will maybe ruffle some feathers with our religious friends as well. So let's move on to other things first, and we will get back to the topic at hand. First of all, I want to say this. Congratulations to The Hoff. His paper was accepted to be read at this year's Society of Biblical Literature in Atlanta, Georgia. And now the schedule has come out. And lo and behold, whose name is on the schedule? A Rob Van Hoff. And tell us. I, I tried to tell them to put the, the, just to put the, the Hoff. Hoff. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I think it was I think it was too late. Yeah. And uh, so, okay. So, uh, tell us what you're going to be uh, speaking on. This is this is actually interesting because I've been talking to several people about this. I don't. Exactly. I don't know. That's the problem. <laughs> well, uh, you should know because you have a title for your paper, and I will read the title for your paper, and maybe you can tell us what it's about a little bit. It's called Karay or Kativ. Did the Talmud reject scribal oral tradition? Uh, Sounds fancy, doesn't it? Well, it it sounds like you might have to be a little bit of a nerd like myself to understand even what's going on. Tell us, uh, tell all of our listeners, even what a Kare Kativ is. Oh boy! Oh, (laughs) well, we've talked about Kare Kativ. Basically, you know, in the scribes, the ancient scribes uh, had a problem in that they didn't have Xerox machines, right? So they had to hand copy the scrolls and so part of the study of of scribal culture in the ancient world and then specifically in ancient Israel uh, one of the things we we look at is how uh, how scribes managed texts when they had two manuscripts in front of them that might have had a different you know a different letter or a different spelling or something what did they do when they were copying a new text a new copy of a Torah scroll, for example. What did they do when they had two copies that were different? So the scribes developed an external tradition, what we call now the, the Mesorah, to, with some basic uh, notes as to you know, what they did, what they're preserving. And sometimes they will have a word in the Torah and they'll say, well, read it a certain way. When you see this word, read it this way. And the reason why, because in and of itself, the word looked like it, a, an unfamiliar type of term. And there's a whole body of, of tradition that we call the Masora. And it's a different tradition than that of Pharisaism or different tradition of the rabbis. The scribes were not interested in halakha. They weren't disputing you know, all the legal nuance to if, you know, if, if your ox gored my, you know, so let me, wait, wait, let me, let me, let me repeat kind of back to you and let's see if, if I can make this, uh, a little bit more understandable. You can Google it. Um, so what you're saying is, is that you had scribes that would basically copy the text. They were not the people who were debating or talking about law like the Pharisees were. The, the, the Pharisees were the guys who were saying, well, the Torah says, or yeah, the Torah or the Tanakh says that we have to do this. We have to tie our tzitzit. And so the law is that we have to tie it this way, even though the text doesn't say it. They weren't making those kind of laws. Those were it's, the Pharisees. Well, in some cases, in Matthew 23, there are there is a little bit of, uh, collusion, it sounds like, because Yeshua's, um, he's really roasting both scribes and Pharisees together for similar reasons. But 
generally the scribes have a very specific function in society that is, that is different than that of what the Pharisees were trying to do. Uh, but in any case, what my paper does is look at, uh, is, is not really pertaining to first century, but Talmudic era and into the medieval times, how uh, basically you had rabbis that uh, studied the Talmud from written sources, from the written Talmud. So we're talking, you know, uh, almost into the Middle Ages, who were encountering in their written Talmud places where the scripture cited, now this is in Hebrew, right? They're reading a manuscript that has a citation in the middle of a Talmudic dispute. It cites a passage of scripture, and then they look at the actual Torah scroll, and they see that it's spelled differently in the Torah scroll than it is in the Talmud. So we have times where those rabbis are then telling the scribes that they need to change the Torah scrolls because the Talmud, the Talmud has to be correct. In other words, we already have we've already made rules on this, and the so you you have to conform the Torah to our books. Yeah. So and so the scribes are saying, "No way, Jose. You know, we're not going to change. We've been copying Torah scrolls for over a thousand years. You know, and you're coming here with your Talmud manuscript." You know, you need to change your Talmud manuscript, basically. So I, at that point of contention between rabbinic culture and scribal culture, they're two distinct institutions, so to speak. Um, I take that as a starting point, and then I work backwards into the Talmudic, into the Babylonian Talmud, where there's a couple places that I am suggesting refle- also reflect a bit of a tension between the scribal craft and it's, and it's robust institutionalization. What I mean by that is that the scribes aren't going to budge. They're, they're solid in, their, in what they do. The rabbis are disputing halakha about all sorts of things. And that the rabbis want to limit the scribes' ability to interpret Scripture. So it's, it, it's really heady. Um, you know, hopefully it'll be well-received. Everything changes. <laughs> um, I hope it, it's a little bit intimidating. It's a little bit intimidating because uh, of the you know, the other scholars that are there are scholars that I respect very, very, very highly because I've benefited immensely from their work, and I feel like they're giants in terms of, um, you know, just because I benefited so much from what they've done. So to to stand up in front of them and present something that engages their area, their field, in a way that uh, hopefully will offer a, a valid insight is kind of scary because I, I could very well that they'll say, you know, you're, all, you're, you're, you're crazy, you know, this is why, and you need to go back to school, you know. <laughs> that, 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 could, that could very well happen. So uh, I don't think it's going to happen because the, the chair of the Masora section already, you know, I had to submit your paper. I submitted my, my basic paper, and he said this would be great. So it's already kind of passed the initial sniff test. Um, but I, I'm excited. My hope is that this will be an encouragement to, to me that I'll receive the proper correction that I need to get my thoughts um, properly engaged with this area of study because it's not my main area. It's kind of peripheral to my interest. And so, but I know like it teaches us in the scriptures and Proverbs, you know, that we, we don't want to despise instruction or correction. So 
you know, one way to, to never do that is to never say anything, to never write anything, and to always keep quiet. Well, that's not what we're supposed to do either. We're to engage. We're to, to just like Yeshua models for us in Luke. It says he listened to the teachers in the temple talking about the Torah. He listened, and he asked questions. And then it says they saw his wisdom. So when he listened, that means he was listening to what they were talking about. He was engaged in the conversation. When he asked questions, his questions reflected a deep interest in what they were talking about and insight that was relevant to the discussion. It wasn't like he was like raising his hand going, uh, can you talk about blood moons? You know, <laughs> it was, you know, that's not, that's not the, <laughs> that's not the it's model that Yeshua gives us. Actually, it's pronounced Lloyd. All these years we've been saying it wrong. Okay. Uh, speaking of your, your scholarship, check this out. We, uh, I was forwarded this email from, uh, from Rob. This person sends this email to Rob. This is in response to his, uh, his review of the AENT, the Aramaic uh, English New Testament. This person says, not interested in your propaganda. <laughs> I read your blog and you obviously have no clue what you are talking about as a Jew of 40 years. Like, okay, first of all, you know what? <laughs> that says it all. That That's says that. it all, right? Like your credentials are being a Jew for 40 years. What was not clear is that did he did this person convert 40 years ago? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, so, you know, any, any Jew who's over the age of 40 has been a Jew for 40 years or more. It doesn't give you any all, all any sudden, credibility you, you, whatsoever. What your opinion is. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. These are your credentials. As a Jew of 40 years, I can see you know nothing about ancient Jewish texts. What is, you know how many atheist Jews there are out there? They know absolutely nothing about Jewish texts. You know what? At least Rob has done the, uh, has done a, a good service by going and getting educated in ancient Near Eastern texts. This reeks of a specific person. I'm almost positive I know who this person is. Uh, and I don't think it's the name that they put down, but we're not going to get into that right now. Even the Masoretic text has Greek words as well as the Targums. Yeah, so the Hebrew Tanakh also has Aramaic words. What? They didn't re I don't think they read the whole thing because I make a point that the rabbis had no use Hebrew words and that they make no issue with having a Hebrew Torah scroll in the Mish or a, a Greek Torah scroll. In the Mishnah, they're saying it's okay. Why? There's synagogues all over the world at that time that were using Greek Torah scrolls. Rabbis did not complain about that at all. They permitted it. Now, this person is going to go on and, and lay out every single uh, disagreement and every single place that Rob uh, was <laughs> wrong and, and uh, a detailed reason why. Listen to it. You are doing nothing more than setting up a straw man. You are a classic example why uneducated people should not teach. Oh wait, that's right. There is no uh, there is no systematic reason on why Rob was was wrong. This person doesn't give one reason, not one reason, not one thing that they say Rob was was wrong on. Yeah, Caleb, you know I'm just over forty. If I'd only been born a Jew, I would have been <laughs> oh, yeah, able yeah, to. Yeah, then you would know all of I it, man. Have, I would know that this guy's right, and I wouldn't have wasted my time. Um, the, I, I think, <laughs> I, th I think well, that this is, this is just, uh, this shows the kind of emails that we get. You know what? If you're going to attack someone for writing something that's false, by all means, go ahead, send us your emails, but at least give an argument. Don't just be like, you're an idiot. 
You're that, the reason, Caleb. You're the reason why blank, blank, blank. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, that's not an argument. It shows that you're that you yourself are being the ignorant one by not actually giving any argument at all. Here, here's what's strange. And Mark is following that he can look at what website, you know, what links people have clicked and everything. But there's been like a resurgence in that article, and and I'm not sure why. But the one person, uh, oh, what was her name? I don't remember. There was a gal who posted. She was saying, "Oh, it's Lashon Hara." She was a uh, um, that's because she was the editor for the first AANT edition. You now we is that that's been confirmed, Welker? No, just, it's not confirmed. But it's uh, I mean I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. Someone that was a rumor. I don't know if it's true or not. But I did. I remember someone mentioned that. Um, but she didn't come out and say, "Hey, I'm the I was the editor." By the way, she's well, concealing. no, of course, because you totally trash it. <laughs> You're like these people are incompetent, and then she's like, "No, you're wrong. I was the editor. <laughs> I was the editor. No, she's not going to say that." Um. Anyway, yeah, the AANT. I'll say it. It's not worth the money that you would spend on it. Okay, uh, let's keep going. I got one more. Listen to this. So this, you know, this person on. This, there's this guy named Lex. He's a he's a believer. I, he went to seminary. We've gone round and round about different things. You know, originally the very first thing I ever went round and round with him about was the name Yeshua versus uh, Yahushua. But uh, then I found out that Lex is not uh, well versed in Hebrew. Rather, he's a Greek scholar. So in Greek, he's right that there's no differentiation between. Uh, Yesu and Yesu, which would be Jesus and Joshua. But that's because the Greek doesn't have the correct. Uh, letters to be able to to uh, make the sounds of anyway okay so uh, we went round and round about that but he he uh, he keeps posting these things and he posted this quote lie equals in parentheses we cannot stop sinning and then he goes on this cannot be true because the Bible tells us to repent and stop sinning die to sin and be holy okay, there's a whole movement that believes this, that uh, it's called, you know, perfectionism. Uh, once yeah, you, the, the Nazarene church kind of came. Yeah, and, and so they believe that once you become a believer, you stop sinning. You just don't sin anymore. This does many things. It's extremely damaging to the churches that uh, people believe this in because those who come into the church and are new to the church, they accept, the, they accept Christ, and then what happens? They say, oh, no, I sinned. I'm, I'm not really saved. So apparently what Lex is saying is that he's uh, become perfect. And uh, I posted the, this verse. Uh, well, first I said this is a Mormon doctrine because it is. Mormonism believes in perfectionism, right? They believe I don't that, know. I haven't really studied it too much. Yeah, they believe once, you know, once you can attain perfection, once you attain perfection, you can attain godhood. That The only reason Jesus died was for your past sins. Um, so I said, this is a Mormon doctrine. And then I cited 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And Lex did not respond to this. Uh, well, he did. He said, well, no, no, that, that was before we were saved. However, that's not what the Greek says. The Greek is, is in the continuous state. Um, it's it's uh, imperfect. So uh, it's it's continuous. And he has not responded to that. I can't believe that people are buying into this. Uh, it's frustrating to me. 
Anyway, okay, let's move on to the to the real the real meat. Save your money. Yeah, save your money. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Don't buy list of things not to buy. We, that's what well, Lex isn't selling anything, at least not that I know of. He has a site, and actually some of the stuff that he puts out is, is pretty good. Well, the chat room's already blowing up about home, uh, gay marriage, homosexual marriage. Let's, uh, so let's talk about this. Um, like I said, you know, now I've been watching the chat room a little bit. Some people have said, oh, I don't have any homosexual friends. But I will note that the person who said that, you know, I don't know anyone who's, who's uh, gay, uh, I, know, I know that person, Mark, and actually you do. You just might not know that they are open homosexuals. Um, and I will talk to you about that in private if you would like. Um, but the other thing is, is that, uh, it, you know, this does show the age gap, though, because people my age, we're faced with um, people in that from our churches, from our schools, from our, uh, you know, whatever you want to say. I was homeschooled, but, you know, people in my uh, in my homeschool group even, I mean, I have a, a lot of friends who are now uh, uh, living a lifestyle of homosexuality, and uh, I have friends who are married uh, to people of the same sex um, under Washington state law. I have, um, you know, and, you know, that it has been a source of, of debate in my own mind uh, time and time again, not on whether or not homosexuality is right or not. But the idea of homosexual marriage within uh, our country has definitely been on my mind and and been a debate. And honestly, I'll tell you this, you know, we've avoided this subject like the plague and for good reason. Um, you know, this is more of a political uh, topic than it is a religious topic. We're not a political show. We're a religious show. However, I do think that since, uh, you know, everyone keeps talking about it and keeps bringing these two things together, which is, uh, you know, and there's no way that we can separate religion and and government fully. It just doesn't work. Um, Mark says, I do? Well, that's cool. I, now I don't feel so left out. Um, anyway. I, I so, want to say something. Yeah, go for it. Just before we get too far in. There's an acquaintance from high school who, um, all the way, I think junior high and high school, that I know this person, who is gay and he's Mormon. He lives in, I think, Salt Lake City. I think he's successful in like maybe some kind of tech. I don't know exactly what he does. But I mean, he's really smart. But he advocates for the LGB or whatever they call it, mm-hmm. community that are Mormons, trying to get the church, the, the, that is the Mormon church, to recognize them. And so they do marches and all sorts of stuff like this. And that's weird because I, you know, I didn't know that they believed in a perfectionism, but there's kind of a little interesting bridge there that it's, A, it's not seen as a sin at all. Right? It's seen as something that the church should affirm. And if you mix that in with the doctrine of perfectionism, that's even kind of more strange to me. Um, because on the flip side, I, I know not direct acquaintances, but acqu- good friends of friends of mine, that uh, one of which is a, a male who says he's homosexual, but he doesn't practice it. He's, he belie- Here's the challenge is that he believes it's a sin. 
So he's he sees that tendency, whatever you want to call it, as sinful, just like any other person who has a sinful tendency um, and is seeking to... So he's not living that lifestyle like that, to my knowledge. I think he's... Um, he feels like he's in a conundrum, you know. So uh, I don't, I don't have a lot of personal, uh, you know, con- uh, people just other than that, those two stories, and I don't have any real connection with with that world and and the challenges that people face. Well, one of the misconceptions that I think uh, a lot of religious people or Christians, I should say, a lot of Christians, I would think, have is that. If a person is uh, well, there's there's misconceptions on both sides. Honestly, one is that if the to to Christian to the Christian uh, uh, religious right, if you will, is the idea that a person should who struggles with homosexuality should ju- that should be completely wiped away. You know what? People deal with sin, and everybody's different. You know, I've had my issues in life. Rob, I'm sure, has had his issues in life. Everyone has had their issues in Actually, life. Actually, I'm perfect. Yeah, well, perfectionism, right? Um, and everyone struggles with different things. You know, there are many sins that I have never struggled with in my life, praise the Lord. Um, and and I've never had to deal with a lot of different issues that I've seen other people have to go through. And homosexuality is not one of those things that I've ever ever had to deal with. Right, but, and, a lot, and these, these sins come from the world, yeah. right? They're in, they come from culture... They're, they come from godless culture, right? In the, in the same way, you know, I know people that uh, in my family who have been victims of like just of like um, not just like theft, but but like destruction, like just uh, wanton destruction of property and things like that. And it's, you wonder what's behind the people that are out there doing this kind of activity, you know? I mean, it's, um, to say it's godless is, I think, totally appropriate. And and so the challenge here is, and we can get into this as we talk about the religion and politics issue, is to what degree, you know, to, as disciples of Yeshua who are pro-Torah, is it our job to hit everybody over the head in our world with our beliefs? Is that is that, you know what Yeshua did? Are we to enforce our law? Is it, is, is because I believe, is it because I believe in traditional marriage and that, that, that stems from the Bible? Is that legitimated by the state? Does that, is that true because the state says it's true or is it true for me whether, no matter what the state says? So uh, and then, we, and, got, we need to get into all these different things. Yeah, well, and, and, but the, I, I want to, before we jump into that, the one thing I do want to say is that one of the misconceptions from the homosexual uh, side of things and the, those who are pro-gay marriage and whatnot is that anyone who is opposed to uh, gay, uh, gay marriage or opposed to homosexuality and believes it's a sin is somehow homophobic or uh, hates gay people. Um I've already said that I have numerous and numerous uh, people that I grew up with and whatnot who are gay and um, and are living homosexual lifestyles. Um, I can 
honestly say that I am not afraid in any way of gay people, and uh, I still uh, I still talk to and interact with some of my gay friends on a very regular basis. Um, so that's not uh, it's just not true. Um, in fact, I, I have a, a very special place in my heart for a lot of my friends who uh, now are living homosexual <clears throat> lifestyle. Okay, let's get to some of these clips. So, um, well, let's just jump into the issue, the first issue. And uh, this is going to be a clip. I think everyone's pretty familiar with this clip, but let's listen to it anyway. First on Fox tonight, a local baker says he has the right to deny a same-sex couple a wedding cake. But now the Attorney General's office is investigating the Gresham business. KPTV's Laura Rios talked to the baker and joins us live from Gresham with the details, Laura. Shauna, Oregon law prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation, but Aaron Klein of Sweet Cakes Bakery tells me he believes he is within his rights to refuse to make a cake for a same-sex wedding. I have one of those. Aaron Klein stays busy making sales at Sweet Cakes, the Gresham bakery he runs with his wife, except when he has a reason not to. A complaint filed with Oregon's Department of Justice alleges Klein turned customers away for a different reason. They wanted to buy a cake for a same-sex marriage. According to the complaint, Klein called the couple, quote, abominations unto the Lord, then said their money was, quote, not equal. We don't do same-sex marriages. That's harsh. From the Bible on the counter to the faith decoration on the wall, Klein and his wife make their religious beliefs well-known to customers. I believe that marriage is a religious institution ordained by God. Okay, hang on. I want to stop right there. So he believes that marriage is a religious institution ordained by God. I want that to kind of be in people's minds, okay? Genesis talks about that. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That, to me, is the beginning, the basis of marriage. What Aaron wants to make clear is that he and his wife don't hate homosexuals. I have no problem with them. I have customers that come in almost on a weekly basis that are homosexual. I have no problem. They can buy my stuff. What's not fine, according to Aaron, is a marriage between people of the same sex. He says he'll always stand by that conviction. I'd rather have my kids see their dad stand up for what he believed in than to see him bow down because one person complained. The bakery's website says they, quote, strongly believe that when a man and woman come together to be joined as one, it's truly one of the most special days of their lives. And while Oregon law prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation, Klein says his beliefs protect him. First Amendment, Constitution, uh, freedom of religion. I'm free to exercise my religion however I see fit. I should not be compelled to violate my conscience. But beliefs aren't enough to cover him under Oregon law. The statute says any place or service offering to the public accommodations must provide full and equal accommodations without any distinction on account of race, color, religion, sex, or sexual orientation. Okay, so this is actually an interesting thing to bring up. Because to me... And I know I'm going to get flack from my from people in the chat, chat room on this one. To me, this is not a religious issue. I mean, it is obviously it's still a religious issue, but it's, it's not a legal issue. It's a legal issue, and not and only it's not legal Torah issue. It's a legal Oregon state law issue. And not only that, but that he signed up for that he signed up for, and it's a uh, look. Let me ask this. Should a business owner be able to refuse service to anyone? If the answer is yes, then what what did the civil rights movement do? Down in the South, when they were turning people away from sitting at the counters because they were black, religious people in the North said, whoa, 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 you can't do that. 
You have to be fair to everyone. And the religious people down in the South, what did they say? Nuh-uh. The Bible clearly says, each to his own kind. So you, your kind needs to be over there, and our kind needs to be over here. Get her done, right? That's, I mean, that's what was going on. They used the Bible to say that the uh, that the black people, the black people in the South, should not be allowed into businesses, and that they could refuse service. So we had this, we had this, uh, this civil rights movement that that came. What what you're doing with the homosexual uh, rights, essentially, or the homosexual, I don't know what to call call that movement, the homosexual movement, I guess. Well, they've made it a civil rights issue. And Gary says, don't make this a racial issue. Why not? It's not this. My question is this. This bakery signed up to have a business license in the Oregon. It, it, I think, Gary, the re, to, to stress about Gary's point, I don't think, Caleb, you're making it a racial issue. It's the Oregon state law made it made sexual orientation an issue when it comes to businesses. Um, this is Oregon state law. Yeah, so, exactly. So the question is, is not just, it's not just this owner. The owner's confronted with Oregon state law, right? I mean, and that's what, that's what this, this homosexual couple that's coming to have, uh, wants to have this cake or whatever has the, the Oregon state law on their side. And it puts the guy in a corner. The guy's kind of, kind of trapped. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but okay. And I will agree with with the people in the chat room. I knew this would bring some some he- heated debate. I will agree with people in the chat room. It does somewhat depend on business, right? If if I'm a printer, and someone comes to me and says, "I want you to print." Uh, you know, homosexual propaganda that I'm going to pass out that is advocating homosexuality. Does that person have the ability? And I, I know, okay, yeah, I'm not even going to get into that. But uh, does the person have the ability to say, no, I don't believe in that. I can't, I can't print that. I think the person should have the right to be able to say, no, I'm, I'm going to censor what I print. However, the law doesn't say that. The law does not give a person that right. So if I'm going to go into the printing business, Okay, then I have to understand that, right? I have to understand I'm going to have to print stuff that I don't agree with. Or if I don't want to print stuff that I don't agree with, I'm going to either have to find a way around it or I'm going to have to take my lumps and pay the fines when, it, when they come. Yeah, and that's, that's, I, that's kind of what the guy did. You know, he made the point. He says, I, I want my kids to see me st- standing for what I believe in and I'll pay the price, you know? And so, yes and no, because he still opened a business. He still opened a, a storefront in Oregon, knowing what the law was. I, I've known. Yeah, but some, I mean, he's willing to. T- he's just saying, basically, okay, you know, slap me with the lawsuit, and we'll deal with it in court. But I'm not. Uh, I'm not budging. Well, he says that he has the right not to serve uh, a homosexual couple. Um, my point is, is but not not really according to the. I mean, I haven't followed this case, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. He wait from from the from like the Bill of Rights perspective maybe is what he's claiming, but from Oregon state law he doesn't have that right. But he is he trying to trump 
He's saying Trump that he, he's saying that by that from the Constitution, from from uh, the freedom of religion, he has the right to deny service to someone. But the question I would have is this. Okay, and let's even talk about, let's talk about marriage in terms of a religious, you know, he said, and I, I stopped the thing, I wanted people to hear, he says, uh, he says, uh, uh, marriage is a religious institution. Okay, now I agree with that, that, that marriage is a religious institution. But then what you're, but, but that argument basically is going to say, now I know that people are, are going off in the chat room right now, just hang on because I'm going to... I'm not saying that we should be uh, allowing gay marriage. However, I'm saying that the arguments from the religious right against gay marriage are not good arguments. That's my point. When a person says, oh, uh, that that marriage is a religious institution and therefore the government shouldn't allow gay marriage... That is a bad argument. And the reason why is because, you know what? There are religious institutions now in the U.S., that say that marriage is between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And according to our freedom of religion here in the United States, and I know that there are people outside of the United States that listen to this show, but according to the U.S. Constitution, people have the right to to have a different religion. If the Lutheran Church says, you know what, we see marriage as between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, then the state has to say, you know what, that's a religious institution. They see marriage like this. We have to uphold it. Because that's freedom of religion. You can't just say, oh, well, uh, religion says that, that uh, marriage is between a man, and a, a man and a woman, so it has to be like that. No, your religion says, and my religion says, that it's between a man and a woman. But not every religion says that. If the Church of, if the church of Satanism says that, uh, that uh, marriage is between a man and a man and a woman and a wo- woman, that has to be recognized as a religious or institution in the, in the United States, right? Yeah, so he used the word religious institution, right? Yes. That, that, and so that's problematic because it, it is, and that's what your point now, is that it's, he doesn't mean to, he means more specifically, it's Torah. <laughs> but he does, he's, not, he's not prepared to make that statement. Yeah, exactly, right? of course. He's not going to say it's, it's the Torah because that makes it real specific now. Um. And I want, and I, I think, I mean, we could have pulled clips from James White debating homosexual activists uh, on uh, homosexuality in the Bible, or Dr. Brown debating people, uh, you know, from the homosexual uh, community debating on on the Bible. I don't think that we need to do that, and the reason why is because I think it's pretty evident from uh, Robin my view of Torah that it's still an act today, and you can listen to our shows on One Torah Theology, but our view obviously upholds that homosexual uh, homosexual relationships are wrong. Okay, let's keep going with some of these clips, though. And I know that the chat room is seething at me right now, but let's let's keep going here as we'll get to we'll get to uh, we'll get to we'll get down the road a little bit. Maybe people won't be as mad. Uh, Let's see. You might remember back in January of 2013, Sweet Cakes by Melissa refused a lesbian couple looking for a cake for their wedding based on their religious objection, their so-called sincerely held religious beliefs, which were anti-gay beliefs. This was, of course, anti-gay baker Melissa Klein. Melissa Klein was invited to participate in a panel 
at the Values Voter Summit last week. And you may have heard that Melissa Klein closed the uh, physical storefront of her business. It was in the aftermath of the backlash to her refusal to bake this lesbian wedding cake. But she chose to close her business, right? She chose to close it uh, uh, because, in part, she can circumvent the civil rights laws, which make it illegal to discriminate against individuals based on their members. Okay, so I actually, this is this is brilliant by Sweet Cakes, by the way. And this is probably what they should have done from the beginning. Um, a lot of people think that Sweet Cakes actually closed because of the $137,000 lawsuit. $137,000 thousand dollar lawsuit that's what i was trying to say that was slapped on them no that actually came a year afterwards they didn't close because of financial problems they closed because uh they can have they can run their business online and they are able to say no to people and that's i mean great (laughs) that's great in in my opinion uh you know if you want to be able to refuse service to whoever you want to you can do it online and so they closed their storefront, which I think was a smart move. And that's what I would have done is I would have I would have closed my storefront or if I wanted to have that kind of business and didn't want to provide cakes to uh, for a homosexual wedding, there's a that there's a whole nother debate right there whether or not religiously they should have said no to to uh to baking a cake for a homosexual wedding. Uh and we don't even need to have that conversation. Um I think that comes down to uh, you know, you could debate back and forth on on uh, scripturally whether or not a religious person should uh, should bake a cake for a homosexual wedding or not. I think, but the point is, is that if they didn't want to, they maybe they should have started their business from the beginning online. Let's keep going with this clip. In protected classes, including sexual orientation in Colorado, uh, by by having only an online storefront, first and foremost. What does it say about the Values Voters Summit and so-called Values Voters and the Religious Right that you invite to your panel two bakers, it was Melissa Klein and her husband who were there, who denied lesbians a wedding cake. They're famous for violating the law by denying to bake, uh, denying lesbians uh, their, their wedding cake, and they're invited as some kind of are they experts? Are they heroes? Are they victims? Why are they panelists at the Values Voters Summit? Okay, now this person is obviously from the left wing side of things, and and uh, but I think he brings up a very interesting point. the The place is called the Value Voters, and I mean you have to see the irony here that according to Oregon state law. Right? I mean, the voters have spoken, essentially. The law was made. So it would make sense that the value voters would be against someone who was breaking the law. I I understand that the value voters summit is actually, uh, I I think that they're pretty much tied in with a religious organization. Um, So uh, I I get it. But I do think it's ironic. And I think that's funny. But the the whole point is the whole point of that clip uh, for me was more the idea that, yeah, this company uh, made a smart move and they probably should have done it from the beginning. A lot of this and these this is not the only case. There's another bakery in in Colorado um, and there's one here uh, in from Ireland as well. And listen to what this guy says. I feel if we don't take our stand with this here case then how can we stand up against it further down the line? 
I'd like the outcome of this to be that any Christians running a business could be allowed to follow their Christian beliefs and principles um, in the day-to-day running of their business and that they're allowed to make decisions based on that. Okay, and once again, I have to go back to the... I know, I know that everybody uh, put up a huge stink in the in the uh, uh, chat room about, about uh, me bringing up civil rights. But this guy's comment is a perfect example. So any Christian can, can make any uh, decision for their business. Well, once again, I have to go back to the civil rights movement. There were, plenty of pe- there were plenty of white business owners back in the civil rights movement who said they absolutely did not want black people at their, at their counters. The civil rights movement came out and said, no, you have to allow that. So it's not, so, you know, Christians are willing to say for homosexuality, we can censor and people need to be able to run their businesses the way we want to. When it comes to a race issue, then people say, no, 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 that's not the case. You know, it's not, it's not, you, you can't make decisions for your business or, you know, and this really brings into to question, okay, what's more important, the civil rights movement or the, or the religious, the religious right? I think that there's a way around all this, okay? But, but I think one of the main issues is, is that I think, I truly believe, and correct me if, if you think that I'm wrong, that's fine, uh, Rob, but I don't think that the federal government or the state government should have anything to do with marriage. If we're really, really supposed to be separating church and state, and this would go for Canada too, but I know Canada's laws are a bit different. Um, should the government actually be involved in marriage? And I think the answer is absolutely not. It's a religious institution, right? Everybody keeps saying that. Oh, it's a religious institution. It's a religious but it, institution. But the word religious ends up losing any meaning. And Gary, Gary made a point. Uh, in the chat room, citing the the U.S. Constitution, it prohibits the making of any law respecting an establishment of religion, impeding the free exercise of religion. Religion, end quote. And then Gary goes on to say, the freedom of religion is supposed to stop the government from interfering with free exercise of religion, not enforce the acceptance of every religious view. As valid, so that's what Gary sees. He says is the real issue there. Um, but then we, okay, well, let's these do intersect, and it is complicated. But what we already cited the Oregon state law. Now, the Oregon state law is, or any gay couple in Oregon is not saying, or if a gay person comes in and wants a wedding cake for gay, whatever, they may or may not tie that to a religion. In other words, they could just see their marriage as just a civil kind of uh, state-recognized union. And sometimes they'll do that. Well, it's because why we're being discriminated against, you know, the, that they feel that as a, quote, couple, they should have the same tax benefits that a husband and wife get from the state. And they feel, so they play the civil liberties card, pardon me, <clears throat> in that they're being discriminated against because their view of being a couple doesn't match traditional view, even though they're not bringing religion into it. And that's, but that's the point. The Fed, the Fed and the state government should get out of marriage. It's not going to happen, but they should. 
In other words, we should, if, if you're going to give tax benefits to um, people who are willing to be in a committed relationship, okay, then, then do that for everyone. But the idea of marriage itself is a, is a religious institution. The government should have nothing to do with it. If we're going to have, if we're going to have uh, tax breaks, okay, then give, then the state should give tax break. The, you know, the states can give tax breaks. But when it comes to issuing marriage licenses, the state should have nothing to do with it. That should go through religious organizations, right? But there is a problem with saying that we should get the Fed out of marriage, and that is that it's simply not going to happen. Listen to this clip. It seems like it seems like there's a clean way to break away from that, which is then just not have the federal government in the marriage business in any capacity. I think that Kennedy today took that line in, in a few places. It was very clear. Um, and as somebody who's for limited government, it was interesting today. This is sort of a separate argument in, in a lot of contexts from what we saw yesterday. If you believe in limited government, you don't want the federal government to be intruding on these things. And traditionally, when you have a custody dispute, for example, when there's interfamily issues, that is a state issue. That has not been something that goes to the federal government, even if the parties are in different states. That's just been the way that it is. If somebody's in Oklahoma and somebody's in New York, they have a custody dispute that doesn't go to federal court because there's always been sort of this understanding that the states are in charge of in fact, family relationships. Pointed this out in relation to divorce. Do you have a federal definition of the word divorce? How do you deal with divorce between the many states? Right. So, so I think for some aspects of marriage policy, those po- th- those particulars do belong to the states. But there are other aspects that the federal government has to have a definition. Social security, for social example. security for. Immigration, national defense, and our uh, armed forces. So, so I don't really think that your your proposal is not even on the table. It's not something that's even plausible. And I, I don't see either side meaning taking the federal government taking out the federal government out. It, we won't see the courts do that. Neither side of the disputants in this court case are suggesting that. Um, so I don't really think that's even an option right now. Okay, so he's right. There's, a, I mean, it's not an option. Although it's what I believe should happen, it's not an option. I want to read what Robert just said in the chat room. He says, "Only a matter of time before this directly confronts the church. If a homosexual couple asks me to officiate their wedding, and I decline, they sue. How will the courts allow churches to continue to discriminate? Quote: Discriminate." That's a great question. And honestly, don't hear me saying that we as the religious right shouldn't fight for what we believe in. We absolutely should fight for what we should believe in. We should even fight, fight for uh, against homosexual marriage. I believe that. Um, and so the, what I'm saying, and, and I think that there's ways around, uh, you know, there's ways that we will have to do things. You know, we're, we are possibly looking at persecution in the future, uh, for our belief. There's no doubt about that. But we were told that that's going to happen in the Bible anyway, right? Um, so I think that uh, if if we weren't, if the government was giving uh, civil union uh, uh, certificates for tax breaks and the and each individual congregation was get, uh, doing marriages, you know, I don't think that someone needs a certificate to say that they got married. If I'm if I'm not ordained or not given the power by the state to marry someone and I'm just saying, look, it's between you guys, God and the witnesses. And I perform a wedding, even though I'm not sanctioned by the state to do so. And then somebody comes along from the, from, from uh, outside and says, Hey, I want you to marry me. And I say, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't do that. They say, Oh, you won't marry me because I'm, I'm uh, gay or lesbian. I'll say, no, I don't marry anybody. Not according to the state, I don't. In state terms, right? Yeah. No, I, I don't perform marriages. Not like that. And what are they going to do? Sue me? And then what, what, what's the state going to do? Say, well, he doesn't have, he, 
He's not even sanctioned by the state to perform marriages. I, I mean, that's how you could get around it now if that was uh, was given, uh, you know, if that situation came up today. Now, down the road, I'm sure that there will be greater persecution. And that's something we'll have to face. And once again, this goes back to the idea of the, the bakery itself. The bakery uh, that wouldn't bake the cake for the homosexual wedding, you know, I can read the the laws and know, you know, when I was at Denny's, I had to go through a whole sensitivity training that we don't discriminate. It's the law. We don't discriminate against uh, people of, you know, race, religion, uh, sexual preference, age, right? And so I already knew this uh, was, was a law. If I was going to uh, open a bakery in, in Washington state, I would have to assume that those laws applied to me. So I, I would either open the bakery knowing that at some point I'd have to deal with it or I'd open it through different means like online. That's my point. Okay, so I know that the chat room is just ablaze with people who are uh, screaming at me uh, saying that I am so wrong, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I, I hear what you are saying. What I think, uh, I think that the arguments for that the religious right is using, and this it comes down to this, I think the, re, the arguments that the religious right are using are not the best arguments. They're arguments, but they're not the best arguments. And what I mean by that is, sure, we can say to people, my religion says that marriage is between a man and a woman. And uh, my religion says that this is wrong for uh, a man and man or a woman and woman to be married. And other people that aren't religious are going to say, that's great. It doesn't matter, though, because that's your religion. So that, in my mind, that argument is not the best of arguments. This is one reason that I am a huge fan of Ryan T. Anderson. Now, those who might be listening to this who are gay or lesbian are probably are very well aware of who Ryan T. Anderson is, and they probably really do not like him. The reason why is because Ryan Anderson, although I do believe he is religious, does not debate this issue from a religious standpoint. He doesn't debate it from a moral standpoint. He doesn't debate it from a Bible standpoint. He debates it from a a tax and uh, law, government law standpoint. And that's why I think his argument is such a strong argument. And that's why I think that his argument is the best argument when it comes to opposing gay marriage in the state. Listen to Ryan T. Anderson on, uh, and this is actually during the Q&A of, a, uh, of, of his debate at uh, Stanford. Or not debate, lecture. So my text t- question is really about the government's interest. I should say this, I splice this. So you're going to hear this gentleman who's asking the question. He kind of ends his question and then you're going to hear him uh, respond without uh, Ryan in the middle. And I did that because uh, this gentleman who's asking the question says, no, I, you didn't answer my question. So he tries to elaborate a little more. Okay. So my text t- question is really about the government's interest mm-hmm. in, in taxes. And it, sorry, the government's interest in marriage, which I think the government's pretty interested in taxes. If I'm wrong, please correct me. Uh, so They're too my, interested in taxes. That's the problem. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so my question is, if why should I not have the right to file a joint tax return? Why should I pay more taxes than a straight couple simply because I'm a minority? How is that not discrimination? 
Sure. So I'm acting on civil rights. And so the rights that are applicable to a male and female couple are applicable to a male and male couple. And that's the, my question. How is that not discrimination on the yeah, basis so I'm trying of sexual to say, orientation? Well, right. So, so, so part of the answer is that because the same-sex couple isn't a marriage. Uh, and so that we want marriage equality to treat all marital relationships in the same way. And given the understanding I've presented of what marriage is, uh, same-sex relationship isn't marital. But I'm trying to ask you about the equal protection argument you're making. Would it apply to all consenting adult romantic relationships? So why would you want the same-sex couple to file jointly for taxes, but not the same-sex thruple or the opposite-sex quartet? Sure, sure. I appreciate that. And that's not the... I, I'm sorry, but that's not actually my question. My question is, why should I be denied right. the right, the because, right, right to so sorry, Then I'll just I'll answer your question. The reason that you should not have the option of filing a joint tax return is because that's my you can't get married. Given but what I marriage can in California. is... I can get given married. You can be issued a marriage license in the state of California, but you can't actually get married. And, and, I'm, and I'm sorry to say it that way, but given what marriage is... And how is that sexually not discrimination? And it's not discrimination because everyone is equally eligible for entering into the marital relationship where you understand marriage as a union of sexually complementary spouses. A per- okay, so this is the brilliance of, of Anderson's uh, debate. Okay, He comes at the argument like this. He says, why is the state involved or the Fed involved in marriage? Marriage itself. You know, why not just give out civil union certificates? So he says, okay, the state and the Fed is actually, and this would apply to any nation. It's not just the U.S. Why is your government, no matter where you are, involved in marriage? The answer is that they're not, they don't, they're not, they're not interested in who you're loving. What they're interested in is tax and societal issues. What benefits society? What Ryan T. Anderson just said is, you have this, this gentleman who has a husband according to the state of California, okay? You have the right to get married. You have the right to go out and find a woman and marry her. So we all believe in marriage equality. We all believe that everyone should have the same rights to get married. What he's saying is, marriage is between a man and a woman. And so if you decide that you don't want to be married to a woman... And you decide to go off and have this other relationship. Okay, you have every right to do that. You have the right to get married if you wanted to. You decided not to. So um, what what Anderson is going to argue is that the state is is interested in uh, marriage because a husband and a wife who are monogamous to each other are going to basically the the marriage of a man and a wife can produce children. In most cases. And what the government is interested in is having a father and a mother figure, if possible, in that child's life. Because it's going to raise children who are uh, more stable, who are less likely to commit crime, less likely to uh, end up in prison. All these things, okay? And what he's saying is, is that it's about the government trying to cultivate that family relationship. And then, of course, people are going to say, well, if it's about kids, if, if marriage is really about kids according to the government, now we're, now we're taking this out of religious terms because 
as I stated before, I think that different religions are going to define marriage in different ways. That's going to be a problem for government, at least the U.S. government, when it comes to uh, freedom of religion. And so what Anderson so – the, so now we're talking about this in governmental terms. Why should the government say that uh, a, a marriage is between a man and a woman? And the question is always going to come up, well, if it's about kids, what about a childless marriage? In the marriage business, it has much more to do with forming a stable community in which orderly procreation can take place. And it, that and we is know that, a that requirement the, of the marriage? Uh, no, so no, that's, I mean, that's a good follow-up. No one has ever insisted that couples have to have children to be married. It's not that every marriage has a child. It's that every child has a mom and a dad. And that marriage tries to maximize the likelihood that that child will be raised by their mom and dad. And so the way that this works is that, one, it holds up an ideal that you should get married before you have kids in the first place. Second, you should stay married so that your kids have a mother and a father. That's what the state's trying to do with marriage. And so it's true that some marriages won't procreate. They won't have children. That does nothing to take away from the policy purpose of marriage, especially if even the infertile couple remains faithful to each other. It's very rare that we have uh, infertility with both spouses. So let's say it's the wife who is infertile, but the husband remains faithful to her. He's not now creating fatherless kids in fragmented families with some other woman. So even in the case of the childless marriage, the public policy purpose of marriage is still being served by having that couple live out the truth about marriage. Okay, and so what uh, somebody says in the chat room is the whole issue is an attack on the family, an attack on yod heh an attack on Jesus Christ. I agree it is an attack on that. What I'm saying and what I don't want, you, what I don't want our listeners to hear me say, saying is, oh, we should accept gay marriage. What I'm saying is, is that, no, we should not accept gay marriage. It is an attack on family. It is a, an attack on God. It is an attack on our Messiah Yeshua. And he's going to make those things right when he comes. But what I'm saying is this, that we need to use the ar- an argument that is going to, uh, against gay marriage, we need to use an argument that is going to work for the person who's not religious or is going to work for the people who say that they are religious but disagree with us on our definition of marriage. That's my point. And the way that we do that, the way that we can do that, is by making this an issue of why would the state be in the business of marriage. If they're not going to get out of it, then let's talk about what the how why the government should make it this way. Rob? I, I agree. I think that's an excellent line of approach for the topic because, yeah, it's it, that extreme is not going to happen. The government's not going to pack up, back out of all, everything that has to do with marriage and inheritance and you know property disputes that are that have marriage as a cornerstone for the legal you know definition of those things and how those things are to to play out but uh, since that's not going to happen using religious and this is another point that you've really made i think uh, well today is that the idea of religious definition of marriage doesn't help any either because this word religious is going to change shape because we live in America where we can't force anybody else on a religion. As a matter of fact, someone could invent a new religion and you can't prevent them. And these are all going to be religious versions of marriage. And there's, there's, there's denominations within 
Judaism. There's denominations within, quote, Christianity, all of which promote gay marriage. So we, it, we, so the religious sphere, is, at least as far as, as it, we describe it like that, is not a helpful angle either. Um, I'm not familiar with Ryan Anderson's work, but it sounds like he's really spot on and he's, he's realized the, the uh, dead end in these other avenues. And he's like, you know what? We just need to go right from the perspective of the state and, and he's advocating. Now I, I haven't looked at his sources. I'd be interested to see, you know, what, how, how he grounds it though, that the state is, is, um, has a vision towards a specific family system. Or at and least they should. That, that they, well, he's defined it that there, that in, in other words, that the state has a moral vision for its, for its uh, society. I think that he's saying that it's, it doesn't have to do with morality. What it has to do with is what's best the for practicality. The practicality. Yeah. The, what, what's best for the state. In other words, you, if, if, uh, if, if kids are growing out, up without fathers or without mothers or whatever right, you want to say, yeah, it's not good for the state. Right. Yeah, and, for the that's, state. De- that's sociologically demonstrable, right? I mean, it, 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 so he, he is, is making a very good argument based uh, on terms outside of the religious, quote, religious sphere. And um, so I, I'm interested in, in being more, you know, thanks for introducing him to me. Um, Sarah says, back to freedom of religion, is it really a biblical principle? Where do you see religious freedom being supported in the Bible? That is not at all what we're talking about. That has nothing. That has zero to do with this argument, and the reason why is because what what uh, what the person. You know, I mean, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to approach this from the standpoint of that many of my friends have, which is Caleb. You're religious. That's great. Don't put your religion on me. I'm not your religion. Reli- uh, we have freedom of religion in America, so don't try to put your your religious values on me. I have my own religion. My church says that I can get married, and they married me. Right. So um, it's not about and I said at the beginning of the show, this crosses lines between political and religious. And I know that this isn't a political show, but when we're talking about uh, homosexual marriage within the United States, within Canada, and I know the laws are different in Canada. But when we're talking about um, and in Europe, in Europe in general, when we're talking about these things, we have to think outside of our general religious community in terms of the community that I attend on Shabbat obviously is going to be against homosexual lifestyle. There's no doubt about that. But my, my community and the people within my community are not going to make policy and law for the United States of America. And so... We have to take into account the wider scope of things. The wider scope of things says that the United States have, has freedom of religion. That has to be taken into account when we make our arguments. So let's talk about uh, – uh, I saw somebody made a comment about fa- fathers and mothers making up a stable household. Once again, uh, and I'm going to hit Ryan T. Anderson home here on, on the rest of this show because I agree with him wholeheartedly. Listen to what he says about this. Men and women bring different gifts to the parenting enterprise. And so in our book, we quote David Popino, a sociologist at the University of, uh, at Rutgers University in New Jersey. 
He says, quote, The burden of social science evidence supports the idea that gender-differentiated parenting is important for human development and that the contribution of fathers to child-rearing is unique and irreplaceable, end quote. He then concluded, and this was in a literature review of all of the social science at that point, he says, We should disavow the notion that mommies can make good daddies just as we should disavow the popular notion that daddies can make good mommies. The two sexes are different to the core, and each is necessary culturally and biologically for the optimal development of a human being. End quote. And now, a sociology professor, a social scientist like this, is always speaking in terms of, on average, for the most part, um, social science laws are not like um, physical laws, the law of gravity. Uh, I can guarantee. So he's going to go on and say, basically, it's a, you know, this is a, a general rule. I do want to, to comment. Uh, Gary and Mark are basically saying, look, uh, you know, we don't have to deal with these issues. You know, we have the truth, this kind of thing. Um, okay, that might be true. We do have the truth. But if you're just going to say, well, I don't have to accept the, what the government says is, is truth. I'll take the lumps for it. Okay, that's fine. But that's not what's going to change policy in the United States. That's not what's going to change policy in Europe. That's not what's going to change policy around the world. When people come and rise together to change policy, they have to do so in a way that confronts the issues head on. Just saying, oh, well, I don't believe that I have the truth because I have the Bible is not going to change policy. I understand that we have the truth. That's not my argument. My argument is this. If you, uh, if you and me as religious people who disagree with, uh, on, uh, with, with the majority or whatever of people in the United States right now on the homosexual issue, if we disagree on religious grounds, okay, we disagree on religious grounds. But let's make, let's make an argument that will actually uh, pose some objection in the eyes of the people who aren't seeing it as religious. That's my point. Okay, so uh, in the show notes, I made I put a quote in there. Does anyone know who the quote's from? Okay, well, let's just go with the quote, and we'll see who it's from. Let me read you a quote, and then I'll ask you to tell me who spoke this quote. By the way, this is in response to the idea that homosexual uh, couples can raise children just as good as a uh, uh, opposite-gender uh, couple. Quote, we know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. End quote. Who spoke that? President Obama. Piers Morgan was a good second guess. <laughs> President Obama. Now, President Obama will be the first to tell you that growing up without a father doesn't mean that you're somehow destined and doomed for failure in life. He seems to be doing pretty well for himself. But he would also be the first to tell you that his road was tougher. He had a steeper hill to climb. And this is one of the reasons why he's spoken out on the importance of fathers, because he's seen what it has done to so many children who grow up without their dad. It's why... He has spoken about being how important it is for him to be a good father to his two daughters. He's experienced firsthand the importance of fathers, and it inspires him to be a good father. And I don't think in any way that this is suggest that single mothers are somehow anything less than heroic. 
Uh, frequently, single mothers are the most heroic members of our society. Um, when the father who abandoned the mother and abandoned the child left them, they were the ones left to take responsibility, and they do a heroic job in raising their kids. And frequently, they would also be the first to tell you that they wish that man would have manned up, committed to them, and committed to the child. And so I don't want to suggest in any way that this is to criticize other people, but it is to say that marriage matters, and that the state has an interest in promoting marriage precisely to maximize the likelihood that every child is given the gift of being raised by a married mother and father. Okay, so uh, Gary says that uh, uh, I'm misrepresenting the people in the chat room and just saying that they're the religious right. Uh, Okay, I'm not just saying that they're the religious right. I'm saying I'm the religious right as well. I'm part of that. What I'm saying is is that that the generation that is arguing against homosexuality or homosexual marriage within the government is not doing a very good job of it. That's my point. I'm sorry. It's just they're not doing a good job of it. And the reason why is because people want to keep bringing it back to the Bible. And I understand that as the religious right, we want to bring everything back to the Bible. That that's right. That's correct. Everything in my life should go back to the word of God. And we are to be lights. Someone said, you know, yeah, yeah we are to be lights. So, it, but that's not the point. When we're speaking to people who throw out the Bible, if I say, well, the Bible says, they're going to say, who cares? Who cares what the Bible says? That's my whole point with this, is that to make the argument, oh, well, it's not a civil rights issue because... Uh, you know, black is is uh, not a choice and homosexuality is. That's not a good argument when you're talking to someone who who believes that homosexuality is not a choice. Okay, it's, it, I mean, yes, that might be a good argument for you, but it's not going to be a good argument for the person who uh, who's not religious and who is going to say, no, people are born gay. So this is an issue, what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is not an issue of morality in terms of what we believe is moral or immoral. Of course, I think that homosexuality is immoral. And of course, I think it's wrong. What I'm saying is, is that when I say to my friends who is a homosexual, who grew up in the church, by the way, the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong. My friend is going to look at me and say, Okay, well, that's your interpretation of the Bible. I interpret it a different way. And so my question, what I'm trying to get to an issue of here is, is how do we talk to the people who think that it's okay within their religion to accept homosexual marriage? And what I'm saying is, if we bring it to a state level, if we bring it to a governmental level, on why the government should be involved in marriage in the first place, this is going to change the argument. This is going to change the way that we discuss this issue. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, I got one more clip. Anything to say before we listen to the last clip I got? Nope. nope. Okay. Uh, the, and the, the question would be, why have this, or have we lost this? Have we lost this debate? It seems like, Homosexual marriage is being accepted in most states now. The Fed is is voting on it. 
all these things. The definition of marriage is being changed in the U.S. government. Should we Have we lost? That's the question. With millennials being brought up on a steady diet of political correctness between pop culture and education, my concern is the issues you're talking about, we're, we're, we're dying off. You know, like the generations that care about this, they're dying off. And so we have these millennials now, and how are you guys winning them over with this? Because I, I don't think that the idea of saying that marriage is between a man and a woman to a 20-year-old, and I had my niece just recently freak out when I said that, like I was a horrible person for saying that, and I'm so old and draconian. How are you finding, how are you reaching them and making them understand we're not bad people because we have certain religious convictions or traditional values? Um, I'll take a first stab at that. Um, I noticed you directed that question on the marriage side of thing and not the uh, right to life side of thing. On all the, but, all right, so I, I would put it this way. I could envision someone asking a question very much like yours 40 years ago, right after the Roe v. Wade decision, saying, look at all the young people. They're turning against you on the right to life. Um, the only people who are opposed to abortion are the elderly. And a generation from now, there won't be a pro-life movement. That, would, that could have been a possibility. Um, but instead, courageous pro-lifers really got to work. Uh, they started organizing um, right after the Roe v. Wade decision. We had the first March for Life. 42 years later, next week, uh, we'll have another March for Life. And when you look at this, you will see several hundred thousand people marching and the vast majority of them will be millennials. And that's how it's been more or less since the beginning. And what's amazing right now is when you look at the public opinion polling on abortion, um, it's that my generation is more pro-life than my parents' generation. And so there's no reason why the same thing can't happen on the question about marriage. My generation never has had to think through very critically what marriage is. Um, We've largely lived in a culture that has made a mess of marriage. Um, So we come of age after the sexual revolution, after the introduction of no-fault divorce, uh, where the majority of our contemporaries are born outside of marriage. It's not surprising that we're confused about what marriage is, um, but that's no reason to give up on it. Um, Serious work can be done making the case for what marriage is and why it matters and why we ought not redefine it and why in those states where it has been redefined, why we ought to reclaim the truth about marriage. And it may take a decade, it may take four decades, um, but that's the work that we have to do. Okay, so um, there's, there's a very good comment that just happened uh, in, the, in the chat room that I do want to talk to. Talk to. Uh, Mark made the, the uh, statement, well, you know, we, uh, we speak the truth and then let God do the rest. Okay, I agree with that. But uh, we could say, well, we pray for protection and we let God do the rest and not uh, lock our doors or anything like that. We have to be proactive. And so the point is, is that making good arguments that will resonate with people of a younger generation and a generation that is, uh, you know, that's, that's turning towards uh, a, a moralless society is something that we should try to do. Then, the, then Mark makes the point, the battle is lost, Robert. And he's speaking to someone in the chat room. And that's my point. We know from scripture that this is how the end of days will go. So this then brings up the idea, are we in the end of days? I agree, Mark. That, that's a great point. That in the end time, uh, that, this is, that society will go downhill and downhill. But the, point, but the question I would ask is, well, then should we give up? No, of course we don't give up. And why wouldn't we give up? 
you know what? People have been saying it's the end times since Yeshua was on earth. In 1492, the expulsion of the Jews from, from Italy, guess what? They said this is the end times. That's why people believed in Shabbatai Zavi as the Messiah. In 125, when Bar Kokhba came to, you know, rose as the Messiah, people said, oh, this is the end times. Guess what? Both of those times weren't. The Reformation, this is the end times. This is hailing the end times. Even in, in, even in the 1940s, with World War II and the, and the extermination of the Jews during the Holocaust, people said, this is the end times. Obviously. You know what? It's 2015. It's almost 100 years later. And the Messiah still has not returned yet. We have to take a stand. We have to take a stand for what's true. And we have to do, do that in a way that will actually resonate with the people around us. If we just say, oh, well, uh, you know, I'm going to just say this and, and people, uh, people will have to listen one way or the other or God will change their mind. Okay, that might be true. But if we have the ability to give arguments that people will actually resonate with and might actually change some minds, shouldn't we give that, that argument? We can't use the idea, oh, well, this is the end times, so we don't have to try anymore. That does not work. So Andre says, could you address my question of the reverse issue before the end of the show? Can a gay business owner or medical professional deny service to Christians who are against gay marriage? Well, Gary gave an example in Arizona earlier uh, in the chat room. I think Gary gave that example of a a man who was against gay marriage went in to get dental work by a homosexual and was refused service. Now, I I just, that was the first I heard of that. But um, on principle, you know, I, I, if it were me, if I went in, I'd say, fine, I'll, I'll find someone else. You know, I, um, my heart is not such to seek the, what Gary called the grandstanding, which I agree with, by the way, Gary, the idea of going out and, you know, these people were fishing for it. You know, the one in Oregon, they knew. You go into a place that has Bible verses all over it, you know, and you are you knowingly ask them to do something that you're pretty 99.9% sure is against their grain of their belief system, and then you're going to make lawsuits of it. You, it's almost like they're sniffing it out on purpose. So, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, when it comes to the reverse scenario, I mean, I think that it's it's difficult for me to buy a lot of the uh, the hype and what I consider propaganda on Facebook about um, you know about news articles. I'm not saying that the reverse discrimination doesn't happen. Absolutely, it does. I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think that that's something that we need to be prepared for. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Right now, the way that things work in the United States, if somebody were to walk into a dentist who was, uh, you know, anti-homosexual marriage or whatever, anti-gay rights, and that dentist refused them service on that basis, I mean, I wouldn't want somebody playing with my in my mouth who uh, who who was totally opposed to everything that I said, and might want to hurt me in some way, shape, or form. But I'm pretty sure that you would have legal, a legal ability to uh, bring retribution on that person. And so I wonder why we don't see that in these news articles. Maybe I'm wrong. And, uh, you know, Mark says, yeah, uh, my mind wouldn't have been changed until the Messiah did something. 
you know, to me. In other words, yeah, you know, unless God works in us, I totally agree. But we also have to say that God uses means. Well, that's the thing. The, the apostles didn't just sit in Jerusalem and just pray and say, okay, God. No, they went out and they preached and they, you know, they, they talked to people, they preached, they um, got the message out there by using, you know, whatever, just by being in the world, by trying to stay connected. Um, he says, you, you, you know, he's not, Yeshua didn't ask us to leave, to go out of the world. Paul says that. Paul says, you know, otherwise you'd have to, I didn't say don't talk to these people or, or you know, hang out with those people. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. Where Paul gets strict is if someone calls, calls themselves a brother and is engaged in, you know, idolatry or fornication, things like this. That's when he says that's the person you dissociate from. But the world, we're called to be in the world and lights not of it. And lights. And we are, it's a both, it's a both and, you know, it's both, God's going to change the heart, yes, and he's called us to be vessels for accomplishing that aim. Amen. So, uh, once again, I, I think I need to state again, because I, I feel like people are missing, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like people are missing my attempt here. And my attempt is to uh, is not to say that we should be okay with homosexual marriage or that we shouldn't fight against homosexual marriage or anything like that. Um, we should preach the truth. Absolutely. And we should, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't even say that this, this is my religious belief. We absolutely should say that. But what I'm saying is saying this is my religious belief is not going to change policy. It's not going to change policy in the, in the United States. It's not going to change policy in Europe. It's not going to change policy anywhere else. Gary would have a really interesting input on this from the, from the systems, living systems theory where, where we want to stay connected to, for true communication to happen. We need to listen to each other and and try to stay connected, even when we disagree. Otherwise, if if we just close up the shop and say, "Well, I believe the Bible, and that's it," and then I close my doors and I'm not going to talk with you anymore, we got to be careful. I don't think that Yeshua is, uh, is teaching us to have that approach. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Yeah, it's just clever. Clever. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's my new, my new sound clip. No, that's good. <laughs> Um, yeah. So anyway, so try the, our difficulty and that's why, that's why this is such a difficult conversation. It takes a lot of back and forth and a lot of listening to make sure we're communicating with one another because it's a difficult issue. God knows that it's a difficult issue. It's not like he's unaware of the challenge, but he's not saying, okay, you're free to He's not, it's not an escape from the world. He's not saying, okay, just isolate yourself, insulate yourself from the rest of the world, and that's the solution. No. His solution is, is you go out there, and you, you shine, and you're in the world, and you get in the struggle, and you, in that struggle, you are standing for and living according to the priorities of the Torah of the Messiah, which is seek the kingdom first in all things, right? His righteousness. That the Shema is the is you abide in the Shema and love your neighbors yourself, and that you're that's what you're you're not uh, straying from that core, uh, you know, identity of being a, a child of God in the world, um, 
And that you understand, too, that you were a slave to sin and have been redeemed. And that's why it says in the Torah, you remember that you were strangers. You were slaves in Egypt. And you're not supposed to forget that. Because that's how we identify with those who are in slavery now, is that we remember what it's like. We can identify. It's not like, oh, I'm high and mighty, and I'm going to put this judgment on you, and that's, that's the end of it. Rather, we try to, uh, we have a story of redemption. We have a story of hope, story of forgiveness. But it's not without the, the call to repentance also. I mean, these, these are all go hand in hand, of course. Absolutely. Well, I knew it was going to be a uh, controversial day. <laughs> and uh, I also knew that, uh, you know, people were going to disagree with me. And that's okay. I think it just shows that this issue is a, a hot topic. And uh, maybe the Robin Caleb show should stick to uh, religious issues as opposed to social political issues, which I'm, you know, all for. Let's, let's stick to uh, what we do best which I hope we do best is, uh, is uh, you know, <laughs> talk about our religious beliefs and our, our God and, and uh, the Torah. All right, next week we have something very special. It's going to be a pre-recorded show, but uh, we are going to be talking about an issue that is insane. And uh, it'll be pre-recorded because we're leaving, but we're going to a conference to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. 